You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderlin, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. I am uh, grateful. I was thinking this morning, I think I say it every week, and it's probably a broken record, but I just really, Sunday mornings are my favorite day of the week. And... um, and it really, as I even thought about it this morning and woke up, it just, it really is because I get to be with you guys. And I think it's awesome. I just, I love, just love, love being uh, with you and our church family together and uh, sharing uh, with God's Word. And so, anyway, this morning we're wrapping up the Gospel of John. So we've walked through it. I don't remember how many weeks we've done it, how many months, I guess, at this point. I'm excited. Next week we're going to start a new series with our outdoor service on Proverbs. We're going to talk about wisdom of life or for life. And so I've never really done a full series in Proverbs. We're not going to do, if you did like verse by verse through Proverbs, it would be like the next 15 years. So, and you know, there's enough there, but we're just going to kind of hit the big points and kind of like skipping a stone across a pond, you know, we're going to kind of hit those and uh, there's some neat stuff in there. So I'm looking forward to it. But this last chapter of John, Jesus is alive. He's risen from the dead and He's presented himself twice to his to to the the apostles. So first time, you know, he was there and Mary saw him, and then he went and into that upper room with the locked doors. And then about a week later, I think it was like eight days later, he came again. And we talked about that last week where Thomas, who gets a bad rap, you know, everybody calls him doubting Thomas. But I think if he were here today, he'd be like, guys, I spent more of my life believing than I did doubting. Like, give me a break. It was a week. A week of my life, you know. How many of you and I have messed up for a week, right? You know, so he gets a bad rap. But this morning, Jesus has been gone again. And I, I don't know what it was like for the apostles who lived for the last three years. Day in and day out, they were with Jesus. They probably wake up in the morning like, what cool stuff is going to happen today? What's he going to do today? What, how is this? What? I mean, they didn't know just what was going on. He didn't give them the itinerary, their three-year plan and all of that. So they went from that to now Jesus is gone, you know, for a week. Like, kind of, what do we do? Jesus told them at this point, he said, go to Galilee, I'll meet you there. But he didn't give them the date and time And cell phones weren't invented, so they couldn't text him like, where are you? We're here. You know, you want us to hang out at Starbucks? Like, how long are you going to be? What's going on? And so, you know, as the story unfolds in in John 21, Peter, the impetuous one, you know, the kind of the ringleader just by personality is like, I don't know what you guys are doing, but... I'm going fishing, you know? He's like, it was in his blood. He said, I'm going to go fishing, which, by the way, fishing for them was not not fun endeavor. I mean, it was their livelihood, but fishing was a night job. You worked third shift if you were a fisherman. You didn't fish during the day. You fished at night because that's when all the fish congregated near the shore and you could let your nets down and you could make a living. Otherwise, you know, if you and I tried to make a living fishing, we would probably starve to death, most of us. The way we do it, you know, you might get a, f- a couple fish a day or whatever. But So they go fishing out at night. Jesus is still nowhere to be found. And they probably really aren't too sure what to do with themselves. They're excited that Jesus is alive, but he hasn't given them a lot of instructions yet. The Holy Spirit hasn't come yet. They're not indwelled in, in, in the Holy Spirit of God is not living inside of them in the way that they can 24-7 navigate in the world. But their leader's not here, and this is kind of an in-between time, if you will. And so Peter's like, I, I know we're supposed to wait. I'm waiting, but I can fish and wait and do all that at the same time. And so the rest of them are like, 
okay, we'll go fishing too. And so the whole group goes fishing that night. They get skunked, they get nothing whatsoever, and, uh, and they're not far from shore. I imagine they're kind of wrapping things up. I'm picturing sunrise, and they see a man on the shore who has a little fire going, and he says to him, he yells to him, put your nets down on the right side of the boat. And they're fishermen, and they're like, we didn't get anything on the left side. Like, seriously? <laughs> the right side? Okay. And the Bible says that they let the nets down, and it was the second time this happened. If it sounds familiar, this miracle happened early in their ministry as well, or in Jesus' ministry. And they caught 153 fish, just like fishermen, to get the measurements and the record of everything. And they were big fish, apparently. They didn't weigh them all, but 153, which has no real eternal significance other than to say this is a real story and not a fairy tale, you know, uh, kind of make-believe thing. And then they realize that it's Jesus talking to them. John's like, it's Jesus. Because whenever there's a miracle going on, you know Jesus is in the house and doing something. And so Peter was apparently in the water, and I don't know how the fishing went. I guess he had to get in the water to move the nets around and whatever. And he gets up out of the water, puts his outer cloak on, and he dives back in the water and he swims to shore. He didn't wait for the boat. And he goes and he sees Jesus. I want us to talk about this morning when we hit that point in our life, and we hit this in multiple times, all of us do, and in multi for multiple reasons, but we're kind of not sure about what's next. What's next? That's where the apostles were. Like, Jesus is alive. Okay, cool. He's going to establish his kingdom. And they finally are getting a picture like this is not going to be a military takeover. Okay, he's alive. What are we doing? What, what does this look like? What's next? Have you ever had a point in your life when you just weren't sure, like, what's next? What am I doing? What's happening? I suspect that many of you in this room right now are asking that question. Maybe you're even talking about it in your home and kind of that nagging sense. Sometimes it comes after a travesty. Sometimes a tragedy hits in life. And it's like you get hit and run over by a steamroller. I don't know if you've ever hit a speed bump too fast when everything rattles in the car and you're like, whoa, what, what was that? Sometimes we hit those in life and they're destabilizing to us and we kind of, kind of for a second, and we're really not sure what's going on. And what we're really asking is, is what's next? Sometimes... There are phenomenal things that happen in our life and something we've been working toward and all of a sudden we get there and we've kind of worked through in life and we kind of get to that mountaintop and we're like, okay, cool. And then we look around and we're like, well, now what? I've been focusing on this for however many years and what next? What do I do? You know, Elijah had that what's next in the Old Testament. He was a prophet of God who stayed faithful and true, and it was through him that God was rebuking the nation of Israel, and there was a famine in the land. And fast forward three years later, a long time later, there was no rain, and he has a showdown with the false prophets of Baal and Elijah. And they, you know the story, they make two altars, and Elijah was finally calling them to account that God was kind of bringing things to a head of why they were experiencing the judgment of God in their land. And he said, I've got an idea. Let's have the battle, you know, the battle of the altars, the battle of the gods. You make an altar, and you call out to your God, and if rain comes, and we'll know you've got the real God, Baal. And I'll make an altar, and I will call out to my God, the God of heaven and earth, 
And if rain comes when I call out to them, then we'll know that he is the real God. And they said, good idea. Let's try it. And so they, the prophets of Baal let, make their altar and they call out asking for God to, you know, to, to, to answer them and bring fire and, and to bring rain and all of that. And nothing. In fact, they're making all a scene and they cut themselves with blood. I don't know if you've seen, seen like some of the, the, the ceremonies like in South America where people will flail themselves. That kind of same kind of demonic reality. The demons lie behind all idolatry and that's what's going on and nothing. And Elijah's like, hey, maybe you need to be a little louder. Maybe he's on vacation. Today, be like, you ought to text him. Is he ghosting you? Like, what are you guys doing? And nothing. And Elijah steps over and has his altar and puts the animal sacrifice on top. And water was scarce, but he said, put water on the altar. He dug a trench around it, put more water on it, put more water on it. And they just kept pouring water until the trench was filled, the wood was soaking wet. No fire would come, and he called on God, and the fire of God came down and licked up not only the sacrifice, the, the, the wood, the stones, everything. And after that rain came, and you know what Elijah struggled with after that mountaintop? What's next? We see him depressed, running, afraid, and he didn't know what was next. All of us will face what's next in various stages in our life. And this last chapter of John is for is what Peter really faces is what's next, and the apostles do. But I believe God wants us individually to, to speak into our own hearts about what's next in our life in those transition times. But he also wants to use this, and I'll share with this more at the end of the service, about what's next for us as a church. And we're going to... We're going to apply these things not just to our lives, but also for us as a church as a whole as we kind of enter into a season of asking God, what is next for us as a group? So read with me if you would while I get my glasses out in, in John chapter 21. I would tell you what verse it is, but I can't see it yet. i got to put these glasses on. So uh, verse, verse 15, so the apostles are ashore. Jesus has made a campfire, and he says, bring some fish. And so they're having breakfast when they had finished breakfast, in verse 15, Jesus said to Simon Peter, so all the apostles are there, but Jesus is talking to Peter in front of all of them. Simon, son of Jonah, pretty formal, right? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he, talking about Jesus, said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And Peter was grieved. Literally, he was sad because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? Peter knew Jesus wasn't being obnoxious. Peter knew Jesus was testing him, probing him, asking him some hard questions, and he was grieved in his heart and soul. Keep in mind, this is a you can't understand this passage without going back a couple of chapters before when Jesus told Peter, Peter brusquely and just 
you know, kind of full of ego in himself. It's like, I'll never leave you. I'll stay with you. Jesus just said, you're all going to leave me. He's talking about going to the cross. And Peter's like, I'll never do it. I'll die and I'll give my life for you. And before a, a, a simple, humble servant girl didn't have the guts, the fortitude, the bravery, the courage, the faith to just simply tell her, yeah, I'm with Jesus. And he denied him. And it just crushed him in that, in the extreme uh, trial that he went through, that Satan took him through. And here Jesus is probing that same wound, that same scar. So Peter, have you really grown? Do you love me now, Peter? Where are we today? You know, not that long ago, you were telling me that I was the bomb and you were just going to be with me forever. Where are you today, Peter? So he's grieving. Look what he says. He grieved, and Peter uh, said to him the third time, or excuse me, I'm in, in verse 17. He says, Lord, you know everything. Peter's learned his lesson. <laughs> Jesus already knows. Lord, you know everything. You know. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, and here's the lesson. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. And this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. In other words, he was going to be martyred for his faith is what that little exchange means. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, you're going to stay true to me and it'll cost you your life. But follow me. That's what I want you to focus on. Three things that Jesus is doing for Peter, and really doing for the group. He's poking at Peter because Peter was the ringleader. Peter was the one who had failed publicly. And Jesus was working through all of that, getting them ready for his final departure and for the coming of the Holy Spirit. And there were some things he was needing to fix. And we don't know what all Jesus was doing as he was going back and forth to heaven. He's God. He can do whatever he wants and does not need our permission or our knowledge. But he needed to work through some things here. And I believe these three things are some of the things that God is doing in our lives when we're at that point of saying, what's next? The first thing that he's doing with Peter is he's restoring him, his restoration. He's restoring Peter. You know, a lot of messages have been talked about this, and, and a lot of people, you know, will say, well, Peter shouldn't have been going fishing, that he was kind of throwing in the towel and he was done. And, and, you know, the Bible doesn't really tell us that it was wrong for them to go fishing or not. When you have time on your hands, don't you like to do things that you like to do? wasn't necessarily bad. I kind of think that it's a little bit of an indictment and Jesus is kind of correcting him. But what Jesus is really doing more than that is he's going back to Peter's denial, a very public failing on Peter's part. After boasting and saying that he would be true and after he underestimated his own sin and grossly overestimated his, his faith and his walk with God, and we've all done that, have we not? Jesus was needing to restore him publicly. You know, private sins need to be dealt with privately. Public sins, ultimately, because they're so public, need to be dealt with publicly. And I know it runs against our grain as Americans. We want to be individualistic and do things our own way. 
We really are a community of faith, and those things need to be dealt with. When they're public, they need to be dealt with, and the goal is restoration publicly, and how to do that's a whole other sermon. But I want you to get the picture that Jesus is probing into Peter's heart. He's saying, Peter, it's time for you to look a little bit deeper, my friend. You didn't understand what was inside there last time. And really the core issue is, do you really love me enough? It's not are you going to stay true to me. It's not are you going to be up front and wield the sword and be the man. The real core issue is, is do you really love me, Peter? And he's probing deep into his heart. There are seasons in each of our lives, and it usually happens when we're in those hinge moments where God is probing us deeply and saying, do you really love me? Where are you with me right now? That often happens when we have failed grossly, when you and I have sinned and, and God kind of benches us. And God will do that for a while. God is a loving and forgiving God, but He is a tough God. And when we have really royally messed up, He loves us, but He loves us so much that He will discipline us and He'll put us in time out and put us on a bench. And that's kind of where Peter's been for the last however many days. Yes, it was tremendous that, that he get to see and be a part of the resurrection and there was a relational restoration there. But Peter lost a lot. He lost leadership, credibility, and all kinds of things. And Jesus was probing deeply into his heart. You see, sometimes you're in that phase where God puts you on the bench and you don't know what's next because you've messed up so much and you're like, I don't know where it's happening now. I don't know what to do. And I don't know how this relationship or these things are going to end up. I don't know where I'm going. And, and what God is doing is He's trying to restore you. Don't miss the, the fact, and we tend to get focused on what's external out here and how we're going to fix and work through and what we're going to do and how we're going to make it and all of these things. But there's a vertical piece of this that what the God of heaven is doing when you're struggling with what next is He's trying to restore you when you are, have messed up. And when that part of that what's next is your own doing, and God's like, I, would, I want to use you, but I've got to fix some things. And you and I tend to want to be in the race car of life, and we want to just fly down the highway and go and do. And God's like, yeah, I'm sorry, but today you need to be in the shop. I got to work on you a little bit, and I got to restore you. The coolest thing in this passage, and I don't know how many times I've read it and I've preached on it before, but I've missed it until this time. Think about what Jesus was telling him. I, I saw it as a negative to a degree, like, Peter, yeah, you're going to die a martyr for my faith. That's what that whole interchange when you're older, someone's going to carry you, we don't want to mean. That doesn't mean anything to us now, but then that was the idea that somebody was going to be in control of your life and you were going to you know, ultimately. Uh, die for your faith. I, I would not want God to tell me how I was going to die. I don't want to know the date of that. I, I think that would mess with me. I don't want God to say, yeah, you're going to have a heart attack one day. I mean, every little time I'd be like, is my heart okay? Is it today? I, I don't want to know that. I just trust that God knows and, you know, I live with that. And I live in, you know, no fear and just trust Him. But here Peter knows that. But think about this. This is not a curse to Peter. This is a blessing. What Jesus just told Peter was this. Peter, you failed me terribly just a few weeks ago, and you denied me. Peter, you're not going to deny me in the end. You're going to stay true because you do love me. And I'm probing you deep, but what's going to really keep you from denying me and being faithful to the end is your love for me. 
Peter, keep focusing on that. See, Jesus was restoring Peter back to that in the middle of this. And he's restoring that group and preparing them for the next things that are about to come. So some of you, when you either, you're either on a mountaintop or you're at a hinge transition of your life or you've sent other stuff going on, is you need to recognize that God in some way may be trying to restore you relationally, and he's trying to help you. And don't blow by that. Let God do. He puts you on the bench, stay on the bench for however long you're there, and be satisfied with that. Second thing that God does when we're looking at the what next, not only is it a restoration moment for us, but there's also a recommission moment in this. See, Jesus not only asked him three times, do you love me? But three times Jesus recommissioned him for what he was supposed to do in life. Jesus didn't deny that he loved him. He was just asking him. He was trying to get down to the bottom level with him, and he said to him, feed my lambs, tend or shepherd my sheep. He basically said the same thing three times, three, just three different ways. He said, Peter, your job is to take care of my people. Your job is the lead apostle. You are to, to make sure that my followers are fed, that they are taken care of, that they are cared for, that they are protected. And I'm putting you back into that role, and that is your responsibility. You've been my apostle. Early on, Jesus said to the apostles, all of them will follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Peter, your job is to invest in the lives of people around you, people who don't know me yet, so that they become my sheep. And as they become my sheep, Peter, your job is to feed them, nurture them, care for them, provide, protect, guide, be their shepherd, Peter. I'm putting you back into that role as somebody who just a few weeks before totally denied me and didn't want to publicly admit to have anything to do with me. Now, I'm putting you back. I'm recommissioning you to what you're supposed to do. You see, all the other apostles who looked at Peter and know that everything was okay and that Peter had that responsibility. Sometimes when you and I are in those transition moments and the what next, maybe we accomplish something amazing or we're like, okay, should we do something new? What, what are you doing, God? What do we want to do? Sometimes we've gone through something that's bad. But whatever, there is often a time when God is kind of recommissioning in our heart His purposes for us in life. You see, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ and you surrendered your life to Him, not only are you forgiven of your sins, and we talk about that so much because that's the biggest thing that we all need to get squared in our life, but God also gives you ministry. And He gives you a, a service and a, a responsibility that He wants you to accomplish in life. And sometimes as Christians, we get that a little confused with all the other duties in life, right? We all, if we were, it would be scary if I, we did a list, like sit down and write all of the responsibilities that you are responsible for in life. You know, the parents and the grandparents in the room, you'd be adding some stuff to the list and you're working and all of that in your neighborhood and all the volunteer stuff. It would be frightening, really would be. In fact, we would all be just saying, I think I want to go back to bed. I don't want to do all of this. With ministry before God, God wants us to do things in life too. And sometimes we struggle with that because we filled our to-do list sometimes with our own stuff. And then sometimes we're like, but God, I'm so weighed down. I'm scared to even take on the new one. But what God is doing is saying, guys, 
the stuff that are on your to-do list that you put there and that are all the things you do in life that I've not told you to do or I'm not involved in, at the end of the day, that's all just going to go for nothing. But there's some stuff I want you to do in life. I want you to have an impact in other people's lives around you. And I'm recommissioning you for that. So this is not a guilt trip. All of us do things and spend time doing things that, you know, or busy work or whatever. And those things don't amount to much. But the what's next is Jesus saying, yeah, I've got you in the spot where I haven't told you what to do and you're wondering what's going on and you've been kind of feeling like you're spinning your wheels because I'm trying to chill you out a little bit and you really don't need to be going fishing anymore. Like, that's in the past. Instead, I want you to put your effort and energy into how am I going to feed the sheep today? How am I going to take care of what God's called me to do? Let some of those other things go and you need to invest into the lives of people. And every one of us, if you're a follower of Jesus, God has roles for you to play in ministry. Sometimes there's a formal thing and a, a job to do and it involves a responsibility. And Sometimes it's very informal and nobody knows. But at the end of the day, He wants us to invest our lives into the lives of other people so that they might have a chance to know Jesus and they might have a chance to follow Him and to live in that relationship even more. And He wants to use our spiritual gifts and all of those things and our abilities and our, use our influence and all that we are to leverage that. And I'm not going to talk so much about how to do that. That's a whole other time, a whole other series. But what Jesus was doing in his life was saying, Peter, I'm not done with you. I got some stuff for you to do, buddy. It's time to get back up on the horse at were and get moving down the road. That's your recommissioning. So some of you, if you're thinking about what ne what's next, ask God, what should I be doing? Sometimes he changes those responsibilities a little bit. And sometimes we want to do something differently. And God's like, yeah, sorry, no. That's what I've got for you. True transparency, I've pastored and been leading in ministry since I was 22. I first started pastoring a church when I was 22. You think I make enough mistakes now? You wouldn't want to be in the church that I led when I was 20, you know, 30 years ago. And I will admit, along the way, there have been mo different moments and times, not often, but a few times along the way that I hit these things, and I'm like, is this all, God? Is this like, okay, is this all that you want? And somehow it's not enough. And usually what I find in those times is it's not, the lacking is not on God, it's on me. Wanting something or doing whatever, the God's like, yeah, I don't have for you, buddy. Just like, hey, feed my sheep, would you? That's what I've told you to do. Be there. So some of you may need to hear that as well. You're like, well, I want to do this and big, and why can't I do it? And God's like, yeah, sorry, no, that's, feed my sheep. That's all I want you to do. Third thing, not only does God... In those hinge moments, does he have a time of restoration? He also ties a time of recommission often, and he has a time of refocus. Notice after he kind of finally gets to what he's trying to say to Peter, Peter, you're not going to deny me. You are going to stay true. And he gives him two words, two, very end of verse 19. And after saying this, he said to him, this is his bottom line, follow me. Peter, get focused, my friend. Your little, you know, <laughs> you've got a little attention issues here. Focus. Follow me. 
That's what you need to be doing, Peter. I want you to recognize that Peter knew Jesus, knew him well. He believed in Jesus. He had surrendered his life to Jesus. He's saying, you know everything, Lord. Like Peter has given up. He's done with his bravado. He's given up. He's like, you are in charge. You are my God. You know everything. My heart is laid bare to you. You know everything. But even though he knew everything, that didn't mean that he would automatically follow Jesus day in and day out. See, you can know Jesus and be forgiven of your sins and have surrendered your life to Jesus. And yes, you are a follower of Jesus in general, but that doesn't mean that you are truly following Jesus moment by moment. You know, we've all watched the movies where they jump into the car or the cab, whatever, follow that car, you know, follow them. And that's what Jesus is telling you and me today. He's saying, gang, you don't know what's going on in the future of your life. You don't need to focus on that. You just need to focus on following me today. And when I stop, you stop. And when I go, you go. And when I pull over, you pull over. And when I rest, you rest. And what I do, you do. And what I love, you love. And who I love, you love. And who I serve, you serve. Your job is to live your life as a response to what I'm doing. You see, we're supposed to be more like a trailer, if you will, and Jesus is in the car, and our job is just to follow along and what He does. And sometimes as followers of Jesus, let's keep it real and honest, that's not enough because we want to do other things. And we get our five-year plan out and our three-year plan out, and we have all of this stuff that we want to do. And really what's going on is we're not following Jesus. We love Jesus, and we worship, and we go to church and all of that. But Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, as I'm beginning to set you, restoring you to your trajectory of life, you really are going to focus on this, my friend. You need to constantly, daily, just follow me. Don't lose sight of that, the simplicity of that. You get up in the morning, follow me. You see, they hadn't had Jesus around, so they hadn't been following so much. And there was some drifting, if you will some distractions in life. Happens to us a lot, does it not? We get distracted individually, as a family, as a, as a couple, as an individual, and we can even get distracted as, as churches, as ministries. And G Jesus is speaking to Peter, but keep in mind, all the other apostles went fishing with Peter. They're all in the same boat. They're all needing to do the same thing. <laughs> Feed the sheep. And follow Jesus. Jesus is teaching the group, but he's speaking to the, the leader as he should. And he says, follow me. And that's what you and I are supposed to do simply. So you may be in a hinge time of just like, sure, I don't know what I should be doing, Sean. I don't know exactly what you should be doing either. But ask God, is he trying to restore you? Ask God, is he trying to recommission you? Is he trying to get your attention? Maybe he's trying to refine that or shift you in that. Maybe he's just trying to say, yeah, you were trying to get away from it, but I'm trying to bring you back. And I am for sure, no, if those two don't fit, the third one is he's trying to say, focus on me. That's all you need to do is focus on me. We come unglued a little bit on the inside when we don't know what's next and our next steps. I, I do. The type A people in the room, you really come unglued. The busy people that don't sit well, 
You come unglued. You've got to always, you know, have the next thing. And sometimes Jesus is saying, guys, stop. Wait for me. You're getting ahead of me. You're getting away from me. Just stop. Follow me. I'll take care of it. You'll find out what's next. Put your focus there. And Peter still needed to get that a little deeper because he then turns in verse 20. He looks, and I won't read it, but he, he points at John. He's like, well, what about that guy? I get the picture. He's like, okay, Jesus, I'm hearing it, but like, I'm feeling a little picked on. Like, Can we talk about somebody else? But he genuinely was asking, like, okay, I got my plan of life. Well, what about John? And Jesus, in essence, says, you leave John alone. What's it matter to you if he's alive the whole rest of the time when my kingdom comes? But you've got one thing to do, and he says it again. <laughs> he says to him in verse 22, he says, follow me. Peter, buddy, stop it. You think you got it figured out. Stop. Your job's not to take care of him. Sometimes we get in a hinge spot and we're busy trying to take care of other people's jobs and worrying about and trying to solve the problems of the world. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not doing that. That's not your job. It's not your role. Cut it out. I don't care how smart you are, how much you got everything figured out and how whatever. Stop. I got that. That's my job. You follow me. Put your focus there. So I want to ask you this morning, are you living in the simplicity of that of following Jesus? Are you following Him? Are you listening to what the Spirit's saying? Are you following and doing what you see Him doing? Is that enough? Is that your focus? Maybe God is calling you to a, some kind of ministry that you haven't thought about. Or maybe you've been feeling like that, kind of knocking on the door of your heart. You need to say, Lord, I'm willing to do that if, if you want to do that. And say yes to what He's commissioning to. Maybe He's trying to just reaffirm that which He had already done in you. He's like, yeah, I still want you to do that. Quit drifting. Quit thinking I don't have anything there for you. You need to get back to it. And maybe He's trying to restore you. Maybe you are feeling the kind of the heat of God putting you in time out or dealing with your sin and confronting you with that and you've confessed that and you've owned up to it but you're still not kind of feeling back in the, you know, in, in life, in the game or whatever He's called you to. Allow Him to restore you and to respond to whatever He's dealing with and allow Him to bring you back into that. So which of those do you need to think about this morning for your own life, for your own family? Pick one of those things. That's the big one for you. Now let me apply that to our church as well. And God's so good because the pastors and I knew we wanted to kind of have this next conversation as a church. I'm like, how do we do this? Like we're in the middle of a series and truth be known, I'm such a bad pastor. When I laid out the sermon series, I forgot all about John chapter 21. Like I, I have an Excel spreadsheet. I know what we're going to be looking at through the end of the year. And I, John 21 was not there. I don't know what happened. I just like forgot about it, you know, and, and then I realized, like, oh, I either need to sneak it in in the last week's message, or I read it, and I'm like, oh, this is so perfect. They're all asking what next, and it's what we're asking as pastors as a church. Those of you that were here six or seven years ago know that our church went through a deep time of self-evaluation. Transparently, we were like a month away from financial insolvency. Like, it was, it was some rough times. And as a pastor, it was just eating at me, even years, frankly, before that, just... 
I felt like we were a, an eight-cylinder or four-cylinder car running on two cylinders. Like it just, things were okay, but I just like, God was not working, like something is deeply wrong and just couldn't put my finger on it. And so we went through a really long process where we, we uh, asked like, I don't remember, 80 or 100 questions that everybody was in the church, like asking really like where they were spiritually. And then we sat down, and I think we sat down, and this was actually when I was the only pastor at the time, and Steve wasn't even part of the church, and Dan wasn't a pastor yet, but those of us who were in the leadership, we offered and actually asked to meet with every family to just listening sessions, feedback. We did listening sessions with our life groups. Um, we pulled together the, the few kind of ministry people that we had, and then we as pastors prayed, and we went through a whole season and just deeply and with that, and we ended up coming out of that just asking God to kind of speak, not to create a future that we kind of, we didn't want to be, you know, as, as a church to say, okay, here, God, here's our plans. Would you bless them? Kind of sprinkle them with holy water, you know, if that was even real. But, you know, like, could you just do what we want? We really wanted God to kind of give us a picture of where are we going and what do you want? What is next for you? We want to follow you. And and that precipitated, we went from just real financial struggles and just the church really just like we, everything was okay relationally. It's just like, we just, I didn't have a sense that God was working. And after that, those of you that were here, all of a sudden, just story after story of Jesus changing people's lives and people trusting Christ. And we, every month, were baptizing people and just, it was amazing, and the church flourished in that time, and just, it, and it grew. We think we went from, like, averaging 70 people to a couple years later when, this was just before COVID, like, maybe three years later, we were averaging, like, over 140 every week, and it was just amazing the stuff was God was doing, and you guys remember the college students kind of dialed in in that time period, and just, it was phenomenal. And, and we even wrote out a lot of things that just put it in writing, like tangible things and intangible, like spiritual development things for people. And then we were beginning as pastors at that time and when COVID hit, because it was for the year 2020, <laughs> uh, and COVID hit. And we were just on the front end to say, okay, we've done, we've worked through it, we and just praise God, look at all the incredible things that God has been doing, but we were asking what's next. And COVID hit, and we shelved every bit of it because it was like, there's no way in this world we know what's next and don't know. Like, what's next is just, let's keep the ship together and not let the wheels come off it, and how do we do that? But over the last number of months, we've been feeling like as COVID's gone back, just sensing that, okay, now we need to ask God again, what's next, God? We haven't stopped ministry. In fact, in the middle, we've added youth ministry that Sean leads and a phenomenal team. We've started Care Portal recently, and that's still getting up and going, and we'll have miles. But as pastors, we feel like we want to ask the bigger question, what's next? And we're, what we're doing this time is we're not going quite so deeply. Because last time, we, just, we needed a, a picture and all of those things, and we feel like we're on the right trajectory. We still feel like our purpose as a church is still this, we don't talk about it enough, honestly, but it's to help people experience life change by knowing and following Jesus. And I feel like as we hit this chapter, that's what Jesus is saying again. is like, no, I want to change people's lives, help them to know me. In other words, be saved and surrender their life to me, and then help them to follow me. And that's our focus. But what we are doing is, is later today, if you're on our email list, you're going to get a, like a 50, 51, I don't remember, somewhere in that ballpark, 
question survey that you will do online if you're willing to do it, and I hope you will. And we're asking questions that will actually probably be thought-provoking for you in your own spiritual life. It's a little bit of a test on us as pastors, you know, for the educators in the room, when you give your kids the test, they're taking the test, but there's also an evaluation like, how well are you doing as a teacher, <laughs> you know, and are you getting things across? So we want to know how we're doing. Are we helping people truly grow? So we want to kind of take the temperature, if you will, spiritually in some areas, but we also want to get a, some evaluation about just where we are as a church, and so we're want to do that just objectively. They're actually anonymous, so you can say wonderful things and we won't know it, or you can say really mean things and we won't know it, <laughs> and, uh, and that's okay. But uh, I, I want every one of you, even if you're not a member of the church, to take the survey. If you've, so think about it this way, like if it's your first time ever being at River, you may you know, be like, well, I don't want to do the survey. I don't, I'm just here visiting. Well, the survey's not for you. But if there's so many new families that have been coming and really kind of regularly coming, even if you've not decided in your heart that, hey, we want to be with River, we'd actually like to hear from you. So like if you're seriously considering River and hanging around a little bit longer, and uh, we'd really like your feedback. We'd like to hear what you see, and, and we'd like to, for you to kind of join us in that for whatever that's worth, no strings attached. But, um, but in order to get that, we've got to have, you've got to be on our regular email list. So if you're not getting the, like the river updates on most Fridays, then make sure you give us your email address on a, one of the little connection cards in the seat, because I'd like for you to get that. And so that's one round of what we're doing. Kind of, we're going to look at it a couple of ways. We're going to pull our leaders together. One of the goals four or five years ago was to actually have ministry leaders, and we've got those in place. And we're going to pull them together. We're going to give them a separate survey. And uh, we're going to meet with them, and we want to hear from them because I, I'm, just, I'm a big believer, and our pastoral team is, of just of collaborating. We just want to be in this together. So we want to hear from our leaders, want to get feedback and get their perspective as we're thinking about what's in front of us as a church. And then we're also offering for anybody in our church, if you have any feedback, criticism, constructive criticism, or if you have suggestions, or if you have a dream, oh, I would really wish our church, I feel like this would be so wonderful, we want to hear that. And so set up a time with one of the pastors. Don't catch us after the service, just to be transparent. Don't tackle us and give us this wonderful plan because like after the service, set up a time so we can hear, we can ask questions, like do it well, and we can do it by phone or Zoom or in person, whatever, but we genuinely want to hear you. So open-ended, open hands. We just want to, we want a chance to hear what God is kind of speaking to us as a church collectively, what God's speaking to our leaders, what God's speaking to us as pastors. And we want to go through this season of just all of us together hearing about it. And our hopes is, is that some things bubble to the top, kind of pop like they did last time. And in December, we can kind of have a picture as a church. This is what God has in front of us, of what's next. And if there's nothing major, then so be it. But I think it's a good discipline to say, okay, we've just come out of COVID, and we've been, in many ways, I mean, we've pushed forward in some ways, but in some ways, we've just been kind of, let's survive COVID. But now it's time to say, okay, where are we really going again? Because we were you know, running in some directions before that hit. And so that's our heart. That's our desire. You'll get an email um, that'll help us with that. And, and again, I'm gonna, after our service, Dan will be up. I'm sure I've forgotten some logistics in that. I'll let him fix anything that I've messed up. But So today, be like the apostles. 
Be like Peter. Think about what God's telling you with what next for your life and ask God for that in this process. Pray for yourself. Pray for us as a church and where you are individually. But also help us. Pray for us and do the survey and engage us in this process as we just think about what God has for us. I want to leave you with those two things and as our worship team comes up and we close our service. Pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for such a powerful example with Peter and the apostles. And Lord, we have all been in that spot. They're coming off of an incredible resurrection and still getting their minds and heart wrapped around it. And Peter coming off of his own abysmal failure of denying you. And Lord, um, we see ourselves in this story in so many ways. Father, would you help us individually to know what's next? There are people here in transition that have gone through big things in life or are going through some changes. Would you speak to them in the still small voice and help them through what we've looked at today? And Lord, would you help us as a church and help us as pastors especially to lead out in that process to see what's in front of us? Lord, we don't want to get to the left, to the right, ahead or behind what you're doing. We just simply want to follow you. And I know that means at times planning, and at times that means just doing what we should be doing and not worrying about planning. So Lord, help us to get a picture of that, to prepare for the future. And Father, I publicly just want to say again, so how thankful that I am and that we are for what you did just a few years ago, that we came out of that just a different church and seeing you work profoundly in people's lives and putting lives together and fixing relationships and fixing homes. And Lord, I'm so grateful for that. Would you help us to continue to move forward in that, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.